The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. Our uh, speaker tonight is, is Dr. Bruce Ware. And in 1990, I was a first-year seminary student at Western Conservative Baptist Seminary in Portland, Oregon. And I had, I had three professors that would change my life. And um, one was, believe it or not, Dr. Dwayne Dunham. And the other was the man who became my pastor, Jim Andrews. And um, the one who had the deepest impact on me was Dr. Bruce Ware. And I was a, um, I was a whiskey Calvinist when I went into that class. I only believed in a fifth. (laughs) And um, I I was um, I was cocky and proud and I sat there and watched uh, a man teach us theology from the Bible who had a passion for the glory of God and a zeal for the person and work of Jesus Christ. And um, thankfully, we, um, we became friends. And 1990 was uh, a while ago. And I am so thankful for... Um, for Dr. Bruce Ware, and we are delighted that Jody can be with us. And uh, we, we really, we would have it no other way. It was either the both of you or neither of you, all right? So, brother, please come and preach God's word to us. I tell you, he is one of a kind. Do I hear a bigger amen than that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we could handle two of this man, you know, I mean, he's kind of big life, this one Brian Borgman, who the Lord has gifted and used in such remarkable ways, and here you are, recipients of so much of his hard work, and his keen mind, and his passion, and his craziness, so it's, it's all of the package, isn't it? Yeah, it is, so... It's funny, Brian, because I remember you, you as being, I didn't see the cocky Brian Borgman that you talked about. I, I saw the confused Brian Borgman. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you had such an eclectic religious background up to that point. And, I mean, just really working hard at figuring out where you're going to stand on things. <clears throat> and, uh, but the right kind of confusion, I mean, a confusion that drove you to the Word of God, and, and look what the Lord did. So praise be to God, and, and, and His blessings on your church. I just, you know, Jody and I love your church and uh, feel such a kindred spirit with you and are so grateful for the, the multiple ways the Lord has blessed you and, and sustained you and helped you grow and be, be who you are today. And we hope it just keeps getting better, you know, over years to come. So... It's a privilege. Thank you so much, Brian, for inviting me. I, honestly, it's a tremendous privilege 
to be here and participate in this 30-year celebration. And thank you for having Jody come with me. I love Jody, and I love to be with her. And it's just so much fun to celebrate things together. So that's, that's really good. Now, for my part, I know that Dr. Beakey is doing a different series. So we, we kind of have two very, very different series going on. For my part, I'm focusing more, by Brian's request, on the doctrine of the Bible. And uh, so we're going to be looking at, th- at three different facets of that. I thought for the first session tonight that it might be helpful for us to see kind of a framework for where Scripture fits in the broader revelation of God. And uh, 1 Corinthians 2 is an amazing chapter because in 1 Corinthians 2, you do see Paul speak of inspiration, the inspiration of Scripture in this passage, Uh, but it's it's in the framework of the work of God in, in bringing revelation, that he hadn't brought before, and, and then words by which it's spoken, there's inspiration, and then the Spirit working within the lives of those who hear the, the Bible taught and preached, and so they can, they can understand by the Spirit, and empowerment to preach. I mean, that's all there in 1 Corinthians 2. It's an amazing chapter. And it really highlights how important the Spirit is in every one of these areas. So indeed, uh, praise be to God that by the Spirit, revelation has come. By the Spirit, that revelation was then given to us by authors moved by the Spirit so that we have inspired text. Aren't you so glad? Aren't you so glad? that the Lord left us with this word. And then, and then to have gifted people uh, who, who have the Spirit who can communicate that and the Spirit work in the hearers to understand it, it's all the work of the Spirit. So read with me or fo- follow along as I read. All of you know from my being here before, uh, the New American Standard Translation, I just, it's mine. What, what can I say? So, <laughs> it is what I cut my teeth on, you know, when, when it first came out. And so it has always has been my, my favorite translation. So I'll be reading from it. First Corinthians 2, follow along and listen to the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power." so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen 
and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. This next phrase is hard to translate. NASB, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, follow with me through this text. These ways the Spirit has worked to bring to us this truth, that the whole communication process from the Spirit through apostles, through inspired word, through teachers and preachers into our very minds so we can understand it, all the work of the Spirit. And we begin with revelation by the Spirit that really is in verses 6 through 12. So we just read this, but look, look at, at what Paul says about the revelation given back at verse 6 again. He has just said that he doesn't use worldly wisdom when he preaches. You know, in the time of Paul, one of the forms of entertainment uh, was gifted people who could use rhetoric and communication skills to try to baffle audiences or trick them into believing things that were not true. And that was kind of the fun of it, that that was the entertainment of it. If he could convince you to believe something that he knew was not true, but he got you to believe it, he had succeeded, right? And it was, it was you know, so there, there was this very common sort of way of understanding the wisdom of the world that was deceptive. So when Paul says, I don't use the wisdom of the world, that's what he means. He does not mean he doesn't use persuasion. Oh, yes, he does. He doesn't mean he doesn't use wisdom. He's just about to tell us he does. But he doesn't use the wisdom of the world. Yet, he says in verse 6, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, not of the culture that we're a part of here, not that it comes from philosophers or, or wise people who are viewed wise out there. So not of a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Now, you know this because you have that man as your pastor. You know this, that mystery for Paul doesn't mean something puzzling, hard to figure out. You know, like who done it? You know, who pulled the trigger? We, we're going to figure this one out. Mystery for Paul always refers to truth formerly concealed, now revealed. Truth that was hidden 
that is now made known. So Paul says, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom that God predestined before the ages to our glory. So in the mind of God, he has planned this particular teaching, this particular revelation to to come at this time and not before. And Paul realizes that, the enormous privilege that he had to be a recipient of this revelation that hadn't been known before, that people didn't understand before. They couldn't understand it because God had not revealed it, but now it is revealed. The mystery has been unlocked. The truth of God has been made known. <clears throat> so we speak a wisdom, the, the God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages for our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, if they had really understood who Christ was and what was going on, that even the disciples, as we know, didn't understand the resurrection of Christ. They were not waiting at the tomb of Christ for Sunday morning to come. Oh, we want to see that stone rolled away. They didn't get it, and much less the rulers of this world did not understand. And Paul says if they had understood it, they wouldn't have done this. But they didn't have that knowledge, right? So then, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. One of the most misinterpreted verses in the Bible. There are lots of them, aren't they? You know, where, where people make plaques out of them and put them up on their wall, and they think they mean something that actually, in context, you realize it doesn't mean that. So people, when they read this verse, they they usually think things which we have not yet seen, which we have not yet heard, which hasn't entered our hearts, all that God has prepared for our futures, right? For, For what he will bring to us that we know nothing about now. Which of course is true. That's absolutely true, but it's not what this verse is saying. It's rather saying which things they did not know in the Old Testament, throughout all that period of time until the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. I mean, we'll talk about this later, but you know, Jesus, one of the most amazing statements that Jesus makes is in John 16, verse 12, I have many more things to say to you. Many, I mean, just, wow, many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You won't get it, you won't understand it. But when the Spirit comes, He will take of mind and disclose it to you, right? So this is what happened with the Apostle Paul. He becomes the recipient of this predestined knowledge, revelation that God in ages past predestined to be brought now. And he realizes the the privilege it is to have this knowledge that has been given, which I had not seen in the past, ear had not heard in the past, which never entered the heart of man to know this. But to us, verse 10, to us God revealed them through the Spirit. So the Spirit sent by the Son and the Father, sent, sent to, to bring the, the further revelation of Christ, brings this mystery that Paul now realizes is a cherished possession, a treasure. 
that he is a steward of. I mean, you just keep reading in chapter four, just look there for a moment. Chapter four, verse one, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of what? The mysteries of God. It is required of a steward that he be found faithful, right? So I mean, boy, he feels the weight of this. I mean, I just want to testify. The Lord put this on my heart when I was young to feel the weight. Now, I, you know, whether I have been faithful in it, only God knows, and he, he will judge in the end, and I will receive anything that he has to tell me. Uh, believe me, I'm eager for that. But in my heart of hearts, the Lord in his mercy passed on to me something of this, this realization of how precious it is to have this revelation of God and treat it carefully, be faithful to it. It doesn't matter what other people think out there. If it doesn't fit what the Bible says, you, you can't go with that. So this was Paul. I mean, he just was so committed. You know, by the way, when he says in chapter 4, uh, we, we are stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it's required of a steward that he be found faithful. You know, a steward is very different from an owner. The owner of something, because he owns it, can use it however he chooses. He, he can misuse it, and, and nobody's going to call him on that because it's his. He, he can do with it what he pleases. But a steward is someone who receives from the owner something that is given to him to be used in the way the owner approves. That's a steward. He receives what is owned by another and is to use it in the way the owner approves. So this is Paul, isn't it, with this word? Okay, so he's received it, he, he, he realizes what a privilege it is to have this, and the last verses, verses 11 and 12 of this section on Revelation, he gives a little apologetic on why we can be confident that this revelation, in fact, is true, why we can trust it, why, why, why we know that it is absolutely certain, because it comes from the Spirit. Well, so, well, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? So, also, uh, the, the, I'm messing it up here. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God, and we have received that spirit. So, indeed, the spirit knows the thoughts of God, which, by the way, is, a, is an evidence of the deity of the spirit, isn't it? Right, because who, who, goodness, to know the thoughts of God is to be omniscient, and only God is omniscient. So the Spirit knows the thoughts of God, and the Spirit is the one who has conveyed the thoughts of God to Paul, and so he is confident it is true. Okay, so that's the re, that's Revelation verses six through twelve that Paul lays out for us that he has received this mystery, this truth formerly concealed that is now revealed, is, is, has been given to him as a deposit that he is to be faithful in teaching. Okay, so, moving on then to the inspiration by the Spirit. Notice that after 
uh, Paul has made it clear that God has given this revelation to him, that God doesn't say to Paul, okay, you have the revelation, now it's up to you to figure out how to communicate that, right? You're to take it to the church. You're an apostle, you're to take it to the church, so work really hard at this, Paul. Think really hard about this, because you need to come up with the right way to communicate it. Oh, no. Look at verse 13. Which things, now what's that? Which, which things what? Which reveal truth, right? Which, which reveal truths, we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. So indeed, the Spirit reveals the truth, and then the Spirit works in the mind and heart of the writers of Scripture, of Paul, to give them the very words by which they speak. So tomorrow we're going to look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. Men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. Right? We're going to look at those passages. They're glorious texts and really do undergird our confidence that this is the Word of God. Yes, it's the Word of men too. But it's the word of men as they speak their words that were moved by the Spirit to speak. So speaking not in human wisdom, words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. Now this this last phrase of verse 13 is just difficult to translate. I prefer the NESB translation of it over the the, uh, (laughs) NESB. The ESV, sorry, the ESV translation. Uh, What the ESV does in in, in interpreting spiritual truths to to spiritual people, what they're doing is picking up what flows after this, namely the natural man and the spiritual man. So it's picking up Paul's flow of thought that comes out of this, and that's possible. But I think what Paul is doing is saying that what happens then in the in the, in the communication of inspired teaching is that it combines spirit-given revealed truth with now spirit-given words to convey it. Because isn't that the point he's made? In, in verses 6 to 12, spirit-given revelation, right? And then in verse 13, and then words taught by the spirit, so spirit-given words to convey it. So I think you know, we don't know. I don't know for sure, but I think the NESB, your pastor will correct me later. You know, I have no doubt about that, <laughs> for which I'm very grateful. I, I love this man's conviction, you know, and, and you're blessed to have, have that. But my, my sense is the NSB gets it right here, combining spiritual thoughts, better yet, I think, would be truths, right? Spiritual truths that have been revealed by God with spiritual words to convey them. So isn't that wonderful that we can have the confidence that not only is the revelation from the Spirit, but then the communication of that in what the apostles taught and what they wrote is indeed governed by the Spirit. So we can know that this really is what God wants written. We can have confidence about that, right? Okay, so revelation by the Spirit, inspiration by the Spirit, 
Oh, I'm not, I'm not pointing att attention to what's on the outline in terms of other passages. I'm so sorry. Um, well, so for revelation by the Spirit, you could look sometime at Ephesians 3. Paul makes basically the same point. In, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, he talks about the, the mystery that in past generations has not been made known as it has now been made known. And, and so he has that same idea there. Um, and of course, I did mention 2 Timothy 3 and and uh, 2 Peter 1 that we will look at tomorrow in more detail. Okay, moving on to Roman numeral 4. Then the next step in terms of the communication process is you have to have revealed truth. You have to have it uh, put into inspired uh, documents, speech and documents, but then taught as well. So look back with me at uh, verse 4 in particular. So Paul writes at the beginning of this chapter, as we commented on earlier, that he doesn't rely upon the human wisdom that is commonly uh, utilized in the culture of which he's a part. And instead, he says in verse four, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and a power. So. Here you realize Paul understands not only does he need the Spirit to give him the words to say, he needs the Spirit to give him the power and the unction and the communication of that when he teaches and preaches. So you, you think of a person like myself doing what I'm doing right now, your pastor uh, week by week or your pastors who, who preach to you, you, you just realize that that preaching, that teaching, needs to be consciously an act by which there is a dependence by the preacher, the teacher, upon the Spirit working through them so that it's the Spirit's power that drives that message home, that communicates that message. It's not the preacher's eloquence, per se, their, their rhetorical flair, uh, their, their brilliance. It's not those things. It's spirit empowerment that comes in the teaching and the preaching that makes it uh, effective in the lives of people. So, as he says in verse 5, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, not because the speaker is clever, because he can come up with, you know, re really uh, wonderful ways of talking about things, but rather to rest on the power of God. So, revelation by the Spirit inspiration by the Spirit, communication of that in teaching and preaching by the power of the Spirit. And then, notice he doesn't then at that point say, as you hear it, it's up to you to figure out what it, what it means, right? It's, it's up to you to work at, you know, wrestling through this and figuring it out. No, again, it's the Spirit's work to illumine our minds. So look with me at this last point, uh, that illumination comes by the Spirit of God. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry, I missed the other, I, I'm a little bit, um, I'm sorry, a little bit frazzled because we just arrived uh, from, uh, from uh, an all-day trip from Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, I don't have my wits about me quite like I normally do, so you'll have to forgive me. So look back just for a moment. I, I put in the parentheses there some other passages 
that speak of proclamation by the Spirit. I mean, one very interesting one is Jesus in Luke chapter four. So I'm, I'm, I'm at, still at Roman numeral four. Luke chapter four, where Jesus quotes from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the word, right? So you, you read through that text from Isaiah 61, verses one to three. Actually, he only quotes verses one to 2a. Uh, he, he ends with the favorable year of the Lord and quits it right there. But it, it's about his preaching ministry. So you realize when Jesus came, he came not only as the greater than David king and the greater than Levi priest, he came as the greater than Moses prophet. And he preached in the power of the Spirit, right? And you see that. So indeed, Jesus did that. John 3.34 likewise indicates that he speaks the words of God for he gives him the spirit without measure. So there's this connection in John 3.34 between the spirit given to Jesus and his communication of the words of the Father. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he, he always speaks in terms of speaking the words of the Father. I don't speak on my own initiative, I speak as the Father tells me, right? But the Spirit is the one who empowers him to speak the Father's word in, in all that he says. Another interesting case is in uh, John 16, verses 12 and 13. I mentioned before, I have many more things to say to you. But when the Spirit comes, so the Spirit is the one who will then bring forth the, the further teaching of Christ, as we have seen happens with the Apostle Paul. Another very interesting case is Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. God spoke through the prophets in many portions in many ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us in his son. Now just stop, think. God spoke through the prophets in many portions in many ways. Well, obviously, who is God here? Is this the triune God? No, because he spoke to us in his son. So who does this have to be? It has to be the father, right? Only the Father has a Son. The one triune God does not have a Son. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. So only the Father has a Son. So God spoke to the prophets in many portions in many ways. In these last days, he's spoken to us in his Son. So that earlier part, though, of that statement, God spoke to us in the prophets. Huh, I thought it was the Spirit who spoke to us through the prophets. In fact, Hebrews itself, look at the parentheses there, in Hebrews 3, 7, the Spirit says, and he quotes from Psalm 95. In 9, 8, the Spirit says, Numbers 18 is alluded to. It's not a direct quotation. In Hebrews 10, 15, um, Jeremiah by the Spirit says, and it's the New Covenant passage from Jeremiah 31. So even though Hebrews 1, 1 begins with the Father right, is the one who spoke to us in ages past. It's the Father's work through the Spirit that brings this to pass. And so, indeed, it is the Spirit who works in the lives of the prophets of old and the apostles in the New Testament to speak forth that word. So, proclamation by the Spirit of God. You see that also in the book of Acts. You you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my spokespersons, witnesses, right? You'll speak the word of the Lord. 
That's true of Peter in, in Acts 4.8. That's true of the whole congregation in Acts 4.31. And of course, it's true of Paul in Acts 13. Okay, so just other, other evidence from Scripture that indeed this is the case, that the proclamation is meant to be in the power of the Spirit as that proclamation goes forth. Okay, then illumination by the Spirit, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15. So Paul says in verse 14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them, but they are spiritually appraised. But in contrast, the one who is spiritual appraises all things. He gets it. He understands it. Now, those terms, natural man and spiritual man, I don't know. In terms of translating, I don't know if they're the best way of conveying this, because what Paul is trying to get across is distinguishing, in verse 14, people who do not have the Spirit from people in verse 15, people who have the Spirit, right? So the psuchikos in verse 14 is someone who has, doesn't have the Spirit of God. And, and so it's the natural man, in other words, it's an unbeliever. Verse 14 is an unbeliever. So the unbeliever <clears throat> does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised. This isn't some sort of mystical thing. He means they can only be appraised by the work of the Spirit within the life of an individual, and they don't have the Spirit. So they just can't get it right. You know, this is a very interesting kind of topic to think about, and that is what can unbelievers understand of God's revealed truth? Because it's very clear that you, you, we wouldn't conclude they don't understand anything. I mean, think, think of the people, the Pharisees in Jesus' day who heard Jesus teach. Did, did they understand what he said? Well, the answer is yes and no. Sometimes they didn't, but sometimes the disciples didn't, right? But sometimes they didn't get it, but sometimes they did. When he, when he says, before Abraham was, I am, they got it. They took up stones to stone him, right? Uh, when he said, uh, I and the Father are one, same thing. They understood what he was, the claim he was making in that. So yet yeah, they can get that. Could, could they understand his miracles? Well, sometimes they did. I mean, Matthew 11 is a very interesting case. I'm sorry, Matthew 12. Very interesting case where he cast out a demon. And they claimed he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And Jesus corrects them in, in Matthew 12, 28. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Right, so I mean, they they could see. They didn't say, "Oh, it's he's just a magician," you know. They, he didn't really do anything. No, they knew a miracle had happened. They couldn't deny it, so they had just attributed to Satan to the power of Satan. He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. <clears throat> and of course, the irony is. <laughs> these very Pharisees who are waiting for Messiah to come and they have the evidence right there that this is Messiah. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The king of the kingdom brings the Spirit with him according to so many passages in the Old Testament and they didn't see it. So can they understand things that have 
been revealed, I think the answer is yes and no. Here's how I would put it. They, they can understand the truth, but they find that truth offensive or objectionable or foolish or repulsive. Here, here's, here's a passage that evidences that. John three nineteen. Light has come into the world, so the truth of Christ. Light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light. They would not come to the light, lest their evil deeds be exposed. They hate the light, right? So, yeah, they see, they see what the light is enough to realize, I don't want that. I don't agree with that. I find, it's, it's same thing in 1 Corinthians 1. The, the, the word of the cross is to those who are perishing, foolishness. They, they understand the claim to Jews as stumbling block, to Greeks foolishness. So why is it we see it as the power of God and the wisdom of God? Because we are the called. That's in 1 Corinthians 1, right? The called see it because God gives them the spirit to see it for what it really is. So yeah, you can see it and hate it, see it and reject it, see it and find it foolish, but to see it and say, oh, oh, there is life, there is truth, there is wisdom, there is beauty, that takes the Spirit. So this is what Paul means in verse 14. There, it's not, you have to have this appraised by the, by the Spirit. The Spirit has to open your blind eyes you know, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Yeah, they can see Christ. They just don't see the glory of Christ. It takes the Spirit to do that. Well, then the contrast in verse 15, but the one who has the Spirit. So the one who is spiritual, the one who is a believer who has the Spirit, appraises all things. He's, he's able to discern and make sense of what God is revealing. Not that everything is easy to do, but nonetheless, you have the capacity by the Spirit to grow in your understanding of that. And so, so indeed, he himself is appraised by no one because you have the Spirit to grant you the ability to do that. Now, don't take that too far in the sense that you have to remember that the New Testament also talks about giving teachers to the church, right? and preachers to the church that help us in understanding these things. And you know that in this church, how valuable a very good teacher and preacher is. So, but nonetheless, with that teaching and with that preaching, you still need the spirit to grow in your understanding of that so that you can appraise it correctly. And then, for who has known the mind of the Lord? And, and that, that he will instruct him. And of course, no one will instruct God, but we have the mind of Christ. God gives to us his mind. We don't tell him anything, but he tells us everything that we need to know. And it's given to us in his revealed word. Amen. So, revelation by the Spirit, inspiration by the Spirit, proclamation by the Spirit, illumination by the Spirit. So here's the conclusion. I wrote it out because I just wanted you to take this home with you and think about uh, what, what this all means. Of the many reasons that we should be humble and dependent before God 
is this realization that all of our possession of, correct understanding of, faithful expression of God's word happens only and fully by the power of the Spirit. We can take no credit. He does everything necessary for, for the granting of that truth by revelation, the proper conveyance of it through inspiring the Holy Scriptures, the proclamation of it in Spirit-empowered teaching and preaching, and the Spirit-enabled understanding by those receiving the message of that truth. And yet marvel, even though it's all of the Spirit, marvel. Marvel that God has deemed it good and right to include human instruments in the process. Humans to whom that word was revealed. Humans who are the instruments of his, of his inspiration of the scriptures. Human teachers and preachers. And we humans who come to understand those truths all through the Spirit's grace and power. Amazing grace, amazing power. Praise be to God for the work that is his and for allowing us a place to play in possessing, understanding, and proclaiming that glorious truth. Amen. What a great God. How kind of him to grant us this understanding. May we grow in it. May we love it more. May, may we take it to heart and live it more consistently for his glory and our good, honoring the gift of his revealed truth. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time this evening to be able to reflect upon the work of the Spirit across the board in allowing us, in enabling us to be possessors of and understanders of your word that you have given us. We are so deeply grateful. We are humbled that you love us so much that you go to the, the lengths you have done to ensure that we have the truth that we need by which we experience true life, true joy, and enter with confidence into your presence one day. So Lord, thank you for this gift. <clears throat> thank you for this church that has modeled so well their, their, their love for your word, their devotion to your word, their uh, faithful proclamation of your word, and it's so obvious the people who have embraced that word in their lives and have been changed by it. Praise be to you, our great God, for this marvelous work. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.